Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys this morning? Is everybody alive today? You guys seem kind of dead. Just from, Maybe you're just tired, long weekend, people out of town and stuff like that. Um, I went, we went out of town this, this week uh, just to North Carolina. We went apple picking. We, we chose the most beautiful day this fall to go apple picking. It was Thursday. And, um, and it was so foggy that we couldn't even see the apples at the top of the trees. <laughs> Our pictures are hideous. All it looks like is us standing in front of smoke everywhere you look. Um, it's the truth. And it, and it delightfully started raining on us while we were walking around out there. Um, and that was awesome. We went, so Thursday afternoon, we, we uh, trudged around in North Carolina picking apples in the fog. And the problem with that was there was no apples to pick. <laughs> They're all gone by now. Uh, they were all on the ground. So, so it was beautiful. It was wonderful. But the truth is we went with some really good friends and we had a really good time because it doesn't really matter what the weather's like. It doesn't really matter what's going on around us. When we spend time with people that we love and care about, we have a good time, whether it's foggy out, whether there's apples that are right there to pick on the tree or not. They have plenty to buy, you know, so we just bought apples. We cheated. Um, so um, I just want to say this, that, that to, to add on to what Mr. Jordan was saying is that doing the right thing eliminates doing the wrong thing. If there's two ways to do things and one is right and one is wrong, if you choose the right way, you've eliminated the wrong thing, even though you're not putting your focus on and thinking about the wrong thing that you're trying not to do. So in other words, it's not that we go through this life trying so hardly not to screw up. It's that we go through this life with our focus and our attention on Jesus and what God's called us to do in the life that he's called us to live. And in saying yes to him, we're saying no to all the other things, but our focus is never on the no. It's never on what we're saying no to. It's like when I got married, right? My wife stood at the end of the aisle and I'm getting ready for her to walk down the aisle and, and she's got this beautiful dress on and I'm standing up there sweating underneath the lights and praying to God that I don't fall over, you know. You ever think when someone tells you don't lock your knees and that's all you think about is locking your knees? So I'm up there trying to awkwardly think about it. Wait a minute, how far is locked? Do I have to bend like this? Like, you know, and I'm just thinking about that. And I don't want to pass out. I don't want to ruin anything on our wedding day, you know. And... um I've already successfully ruined all the pictures because I have the world's worst picture smile. So the last thing I want to do is pass out on our wedding day. And I'm standing there and all of a sudden everybody stands up and the music starts playing and I look down the aisle and there's my wife standing there at the end of the aisle. And she looks just amazing. And in my heart, all I could think was, I get to say yes to her. My heart's beating in my chest and I'm looking down the aisle. My eyes are locked on her and she's so beautiful and so amazing and she's mine and she loves me the most amazing way I've ever been loved by a person. And, and I look and all I can think is that I get to say yes to her. But in the same moment that I'm saying yes to her, I'm saying no to every other woman in the world. But my focus and my attention was never on all the women that I was saying no to. I wasn't sitting up there on stage thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I'm about to say no to her, 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 her. I wasn't thinking about those things because what I was thinking about was who I was saying yes to. If I'm standing up there and my focus is on all the people and all the women in the world, because I'm saying yes to one woman, I'm saying no to every other woman in the world. But it didn't feel like a burden. It didn't feel like a... I'm never going to get to do this. I'm never going to get to do that. I won't be able to go on this date and that. It was no burden. It wasn't, the focus wasn't on what I was saying no to because I was so consumed with and so in love with who I was saying yes to. And that's how it is with God. That's the life that we're called to live is not to live this life of running around trying to say no. It's the life that we get to say yes to. And in saying yes to God, we say no to all those other things. But our focus is never on all those other things because if our focus is on them, Sooner or later, what we give our attention to will be the thing that we're attracted to. And even if we're trying not to, if our attention is on sin, if our attention's on wrongdoing, if our attention's on those things, eventually we'll find ourselves doing those things because that's where we've placed our focus and that's what our eyes are fixed upon. But if our eyes are fixed upon Him and living the life that He called us to live, we look back one day and we realize, I haven't even had to say no to all those things because I was so busy saying yes to Him and that took care of the no to everything that He didn't call me to. It's not this white-knuckle struggle not to sin. It's not the life that you're called to live. That's miserable. 
If all it is is saying, come be born again, and what that means is now we'll give you a list of rules, and now you know what you can't do so that the rest of your life you can be miserable doing the things that you know you're not supposed to, that's not freedom. That's not good news. That's a burden. That's saying you were happy living your life doing these things. Well, now you're going to do the same things, but you're going to be miserable doing them because you know that you're wrong. That's not the life God called you to. He called you to a life of freedom. It was for freedom that you've been set free. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit today. About We've been talking about the covenant that we have with God. And, and part of that covenant was the exchange of belts. And that was my enemies become your enemies and your enemies become my enemies. And I fight for what you fight for and I'll defend what you defend. And so um, if you open up your Bibles to Ephesians 6.10... We're going to be talking about this and, and we're going to be talking about who we battle and, and, and how we battle and why we battle and what the battle actually is. Because you hear a lot of people talk about, well, you know, it's a struggle or it's a battle. And, and the truth is, is living in this life, it, there is a battle going on constantly because there's constantly the enemy trying to get you to live the life that he desires for you to live in the face of Jesus calling you to live the life he desires you to live that you were created for. There's constantly a tension. There's constantly two voices speaking. It's his voice and it's the voice of the enemy. It's his voice and it's the wisdom of the world. And and we're constantly in the middle of that choosing which one we're going to obey, which one we're going to follow, who we're going to say yes to. Because we don't even think about saying no at the time we're saying yes. Because every time we say yes to the plan of the enemy for our lives, we're saying no to God. But we're not thinking about the fact that we're saying no to him. It works both ways. And so if you open up to Ephesians 6, um, we're going to start in chapter 10. I mean, uh, verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time today that we can gather here and and spend time worshiping you and and loving you and being loved by you, God, that we can come here together and celebrate who you are and who you've called us to be. God, who we've become in you. I thank you for that, God. I ask that as I speak today, Holy Spirit, that that you would open our ears to hear what you have to say. And it wouldn't be me, that the, the words that I speak, God, they'd be from your heart. God, that our ears would be open to hear, our minds to understand, our hearts to receive, that we would be good soil, that we would produce fruit in our lives, that we would become more and more like Jesus, that tomorrow I look more like Jesus than I do today, and today I look more like Jesus than I did yesterday, that I'm constantly being transformed, God, not from crisis to crisis, but from glory to glory. And I thank you for that. I thank you that it's your promise, God, that you said that, that that's your plan for my life. And I rest in that. I take peace and comfort in that. I find joy and strength in that. In Jesus' name, amen. So here Paul talks about the battle that we fight, right? And he talks about the weapons of our warfare. And, and this, this, this ver- these verses have been talked about a lot. And this isn't going to be a huge in-depth study in each one of them. Maybe at some point we'll go through and really break down and study each one of them. But, but if you notice one thing when you look at the weapons of our warfare, the armor of God that we're given, you notice this, that all of them are defensive except for one. All of them are meant to protect something, not to attack something, except for one. The sword of the Spirit is meant to attack, but the rest of them are for protection. And and you realize that he says, nothing we do is by our own strength or by our goodness. It's all done in the strength of His might. In whose might? In the Lord's. In His, in covenant with Him. Remember that covenant term, in Him. Be strong in the Lord. In other words, be strong in the covenant that you have with Him. Understanding that He said that I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will be a friend to your friend. That I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He promised all these things. That He would be for us and not against us. And so He says, take strength in the strength of the Lord, not in your own strength. At some point, each and every one of us have to come to a place in our lives where we realize I cannot live the life that He desires and that I desire for me to live on my own. And the sooner you do that, the better. 
See, sometimes we have these traumatic experiences. My life is full of, of, of traumatic experiences where, where I came face to face with who I was outside of Christ and who I was on my own and in my own strength. And, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, to go out and live that kind of a life, but I am saying when you've lived that kind of a life, sometimes you come to the end of yourself so quickly because you literally see the, the, the end of your decisions rather than living a good life and thinking, you know, I can kind of keep it all together. I can kind of do this on my own. I've been a pretty good person all of my life. And I'm, now there's nothing wrong with living a great life and a good, clean life up to the point of understanding that you need a Savior. I am saying that sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll think that I've got it pretty well done on my own. When I stood there in a bathroom at 3 o'clock in the morning looking in the mirror, looking like the devil himself was staring back at me, strung out on drugs, having done everything in life that you that you would draw a line and say I'll, i won't do this i won't do this and then having crossed every single one of those lines and when i stood there and came to the point where i realized that if this was what it was to live i didn't want to live anymore i literally said god if you're real either change me or let me die because i realized that on my own if there wasn't some kind of change if nothing in me changed if something wasn't different if i didn't have a better way to live than the way i was capable of living on my own then it wasn't worth living because i wasn't even alive really I was just a dead man walking around. And at some point, each and every one of us, whether you come from a life that's like that or whether you come from a life that looks like something you'd see on a 50s sitcom where everything was good and mom and dad were good and, and brother and sister were good and you were good and you never really did anything wrong, you never fell into any of the biggies as we would classify them. It doesn't matter how you grew up and how you've lived your life up to that point. At some point, each and every one of us has to come face to face with this. I cannot do this on my own. I cannot live the life that you've called me to live and that I want to live in my own strength. It's got to be in yours. And that's why Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Understanding that everything He's called you to do, He is prepared to help you do and is equipping you to do. He has never called you to do something that He won't prepare and equip you to do. He's not a frustrating God. He doesn't stand on top of a bridge and say, jump up here with me without giving you the ability to leap. I wouldn't do that to my son. Jesus said, follow me. Meaning, come do the things that I do. Live the way that I live. I wouldn't to my son say, follow me, and then hop in my car, slam the doors, and go driving down the highway. He's seven or eight years old. You know, he wouldn't be able... He's eight. He just had a birthday. It's okay. It was only a week ago, so I'm used to saying seven. I'm adjusting to eight. I still can't believe he's eight. He's me and Patty's youngest. And, and man, when you see your kids growing up so fast, you understand. People used to tell you, oh, enjoy them. They grow up so fast. And then you have your own, and you find yourself looking around going, they grow up so fast. Stop. Slow down, please. My little girl comes in and she gets herself dressed and she wears these scarves and she's always so stylish and fashionable and does her hair. And I'm looking at her and I'm going, no, 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 no. Because I know what happens next. If I notice it, I know there's other little boys running around in the world that notice it. And then pretty soon they start asking for phone numbers and my phone starts ringing and then they start showing up at the house and there's a bunch of little me's running around looking at my daughter. No. So we're building a tower on our house where we're going to lock her up until she's 18 to keep her safe. But, but Jackson's eight years old. He can't exactly drive. He's not capable. And so if I said, follow me, I make sure that anywhere that I'm going, he's capable of going as well. That anywhere that I'm going, is he's able to follow me. Otherwise, it's just an exercise in frustration. I say, follow me, and then I do things that he can't do, and I go places that he can't go. What's the point of saying, follow me? If Jesus had no intention of you living the life that he called you to live, he never would have said to follow him. And if he intended for you to live that way, then that means there's power and strength available in him to live the life that he's called you to live. Because of all the things that we do, the one thing that Jesus asked us to do was to follow Him. Worshiping Him is great. Writing books about Him is great. Talking about Him is great. Sharing the Gospel. He told us to do that, right? But if we're doing the things that He didn't tell us to do, we're not doing the one thing He did tell us to do, which is to follow Him. To actually follow Him. Walk after Him. Live the kind of life that He lived and live the life that He calls us to live. Then all that stuff's in vain. Because it may do a lot of things for people around us, but it does nothing for us. And we come to the end of our lives and we're deceived because we think that because of the things that we've done, that that gets us in. And the truth is, is he asks us to follow, to live like he lives. So it says, put on the full 
armor of God so that you will stand firm against the schemes of the devil for our battle is not against flesh and blood. Put on the full armor of God because the attacks that you face are not attacks that can be defended by physical things. So you have to put on the full armor of God because the enemy that we're fighting and that's fighting against us is not flesh and blood. What we fight in this life is not people. We have to understand that. We have to get this through our heads. That the war is not against people. That people are not the enemy. People are not the enemy. They're not who we're called to fight in war against. And so many times our focus gets on to people and we think, well, if this person would just do this, if that person would just do that, if they weren't doing this, then I would be okay. And we put our happiness and our ability to be okay off onto other people, which means I have no control over my life. I've handed control of my life over to you. And as long as you act the way I want you to, then I'm okay. But if you don't, then I'm not. And then we become angry when people don't do the things that we want them to do. And we attack them back and the cycle continues because now we've attacked them and they attack us back. And pretty soon we're so busy fighting people that we've taken our eyes off of the truth that God's word tells us that we battle not against flesh and blood. And all we do is fight people. We spend our lives running around fighting against people and thinking that people are the problem. And if we fight with physically, with physical worldly weapons, the very people that we're sent here to be ambassadors of the gospel of peace to, will be left wounded, hurt, and destroyed by the very ones who were sent to bring that gospel to them. Jesus came and reconciled the world to God and brought peace on earth and goodwill to men. Second Corinthians 5.16 says, Therefore from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely that God it was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what we've been sent into this world to do. We receive the gospel message and then we're sent out to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God and bring that message to other people. And if we don't understand that people aren't the enemy and we keep viewing people as the problem rather than the ones who need the, the gospel that we have, we'll continue to fight against them and we'll leave people hurt and people wounded and the very spirit that's causing them to do the things that they're doing loves it because you were the one who came, who had the ability, who had the power within you to actually see them set free, whole, healthy, joyful, born again, have their lives completely changed and instead you left them laying there bleeding because you attacked a person rather than seeing what was really going on because you saw them according to the flesh rather than through the Spirit. And that's what Paul is saying here. From now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, it meant a lot of things. And one of those things was that the battle with people, the battle that was physical, was done. And that now the battle would shift and it would all be done in spirit. It is finished meant that no longer would people be the problem, that people were no longer the enemy, that the enemies of God had now been reconciled to him. That the very ones who had made themselves enemies of God, the very ones who were nailing him to the cross, his blood was dripping down onto the ground and was bringing forgiveness for their sins. And that they were no longer the enemy and that we were no longer to fight them. That's why when Peter grabbed the sword, what did Jesus say? That's enough. When Peter attacks the servant of the priest and cuts his ear off. What does Jesus do? He takes the ear and he puts it back on because he wants to show them you guys don't understand the way that you're going to fight isn't with the sword. It's not against people. He showed us how we fight and who it was against when Peter said, I'll never let them come and kill you. And he said, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was addressing the spirit that was speaking to Peter and trying to keep him from doing what the father sent him in this world to do. Jesus gives us an example of what it is to fight against the Spirit by seeing not the person, but seeing what's influencing them. Have you guys ever known somebody in your life that you just, for whatever reason, couldn't figure out what was wrong with them, but they kept doing things against you? They kept wanting to hurt you, harm you, attack you. You ever face somebody where... It didn't matter how nice you were to them. And you start to get frustrated after a time because you start to, like we all do, right? You make a list of all the things that you've done nice for them. 
And then all the things that they've done wrong to you. And you think there's something wrong here. And so rather than going after what it is that's truly influencing them and making them live that way, you start to attack them and you start to call them names and you start to say things back to them and you start to treat them badly. And you say, well, if that's the way they're going to act, then I'll act the same way towards them. And all that happens is an eye for an eye. And the next thing you know, everyone's running around blind. And Jesus said, there's a better way than that. That's not who we fight against. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations in every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So here's the deal. We walk in the flesh, right? That means we see, we hear, we feel, we smell, we taste. All, this, all those natural senses, we walk in those. And so it's not as if we walk around just blind with our eyes closed saying, okay, God, you're going to have to show me. We walk around in the flesh, but yet we don't see people according to the flesh. From now on, when we see people, we see them for who God created them to be and who God says that they are. That's not a drug addict. That's a loved son of God who doesn't understand who he is, who's been abused, who, if he knew a better way of living, would live a better way. But he feels that this is the best way that he can live because that's what he's found that makes him feel better. She's not a prostitute. She's a girl who doesn't understand the love that God has for her and who she is in Christ. And if she knew that, she would never let a man treat her that way. And her heart's been hurt and it's been wounded because of the way she's been treated by people in the past. And that's what's got her to that point. She doesn't need us to come along and label her according to what she's done because we don't see her according to the flesh. We see her according to the Spirit. He's not an angry person who's just a jerk and needs to be labeled that way. He's someone who's never understood how to express his feelings. He's someone who's been mistreated, feels like he's been misunderstood his whole life. He's never had anybody believe in him and tell him how good he was and how competent he was. He grew up maybe with a dad or with a mother that never, ever complimented him. And so his whole life, he's just walked around with a chip on his shoulder because he's never felt like he's measured up and his insecurity comes out in him acting like a jerk to you and treating you that way. That's not who he is. That's just something that he's put on. And if we see him that way and we treat him that way, then we keep the cycle going because when we hurt people who are already hurt they hurt more and now they want to hurt people even more and the cycle just continues until somebody finally comes along who actually sees people according to the spirit of god and treats them that way rather than the way they've been treated their whole lives you can either be part of the cycle of bringing destruction into people's life or you can be the one that brings change to it because you may be the first one that's ever spoke to them not according to the way they act on the outside but according to who they really are on the inside You realize you might be the first person that ever in the face of them yelling and screaming at you says, you know what, you don't hate me. There's something going on inside of you. I can see it. There's a brokenness inside of you that you don't really hate me because you don't even know me well enough to hate me. You don't even know me well enough to say the things that you're saying about me. There's obviously something going on with you. And I love you and I'm praying for you. If you ever want to talk about it, if you ever want to talk about what's going on rather than keep living the way that you've been living, I'm here for you and I'd love to talk to you and I'm praying for you and I just want you to know I don't believe the things that you're saying because you don't believe the things you're saying. You might be the very first person that's ever spoke to somebody that way. Who's ever stood in the face of somebody who's attacking you and rather than attacking back and giving them what the spirit that's oppressing them and destroying them wants you to do, you might be the very first person that's ever spoke back to them in the opposite spirit and actually loved them enough to speak the truth to them rather than just attacking them back. Because what happens when you attack them back is they put up their defenses and by now their defenses are really good because they're used to this. This is the battle they want. This is the battle they're engaged in. And so the defenses come up and they don't even hear a word you're saying. They've, they've guarded their hearts and they've guarded themselves against, against hurtful words because they've grown up with that. And by now they've developed a defense mechanism which says, I won't let anybody say anything to me that makes me feel that way. And so they just shut down the minute you start with that stuff and you've lost any opportunity to speak into their lives and all you've done is reinforce their opinion that they need to seal themselves off from the world because the world's hurtful, it's hateful, and it's unkind. And here we are walking around claiming to have the spirit of the living God inside of us called ambassadors for the kingdom with the gospel of peace. That when we speak, it's as if God himself is speaking through us. I think if we would actually see people according to the, to the Spirit like Paul talks about, we would speak a whole lot differently to them and it would sound a whole lot more like God actually speaking through us like the Word says. 
That went over real well. So he says that we walk according to the flesh, but we don't battle the flesh. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Can I just say something? This begins with you. Because if you spend your life battling your flesh, then what you have done is said, the battle that I fight in this life is not to remain where God called me, not to remain who He's called me to be, not to protect what's been given to me and live according to who He says I am. My battle is to try to defeat this thing inside of me and there's really good and bad inside of me and the rest of my life is just going to be a struggle and all you'll do the rest of your life is walk around looking at yourself, fighting yourself and how on earth can you ever have your eyes off of yourself and see other people that need help if you're consumed with your flesh if the battle is against your own flesh for the rest of your life then something's wrong Romans 8.12 so then brethren we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you're living according to the flesh you must die at some point in our lives we all have to die that's why Jesus or God said no man can see me and live. At some point we die so that the old us can be dead, crucified with Christ, and the new us can be resurrected with him in glory. If you're living according to your flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Colossians 3.5 Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and idolatry. God created us with desires inside of us, and every one of those has a godly purpose. You realize that the desires that you have inside of you were placed there by God, and they have a godly purpose and a godly function in your life. It is perfectly natural, it's perfectly normal for a man to desire a woman. What happens is, though, is that God places that desire inside of us so that we'll find a wife and we'll spend our life directing that desire towards her. And the only thing the devil can do, since he can't change the way God created us, is try to pervert it and try to get us to, to use that desire and to try to receive something from outside of the way that God intended for us to. You don't walk around saying, I don't desire anybody. I don't want a woman. That's not what I want. That's not what I want. Because the truth of the matter is, is you're not going to change. You want a woman, you're going to desire a woman. The way that you solve that problem, if you have a problem looking at things that you shouldn't or doing things that you shouldn't do, is direct it towards what God intended it for, and that's a wife. You don't say, oh man, just take this desire away from me. He can't. That's the way that he created you. That's not going to change. What can change is where it's directed. See, the enemy can't create anything. All he can do is try to pervert or distort what God's already created. He didn't create that desire inside of you. God did. He just perverted and distorted the way that you directed it. If we would stop thinking that having a desire for a woman is an evil thing, or women having a desire for a man is an evil thing, and realize that it's a beautiful thing that we were created by God to have and direct it in the way that He would want us to direct it, the war would end and we would actually find ourselves a whole lot happier because you're desiring the one that you have rather than all these things that you don't. Then you can actually be content. You say yes to your wife, you say no to all the other women in the world but your focus isn't on what you're saying no to. It's on who you're saying yes to. So whether it's our own lives, right, or the lives of other people, the real issue is what? The rulers, the powers, the forces of darkness, and the spiritual forces of wickedness, the, evil, the enemies of God that we're called to fight are these. The devil, the demonic forces of evil, which are attacking, enslaving, and destroying people, False belief in lives and people are not the enemy. They are the prize. They're not the enemy. People are the prize. It's the reason why we fight, not who we fight. It's who we fight for, not against. So think about this and just be honest with ourselves for a minute. How many times in life when we get attacked by people do we attack them back or do we understand that we battle not against flesh and blood? Just be honest for a second because we can all quote that. Every Christian who's grown up in the, around the Bible and if you're not a Christian that's grown up around the Bible you'll learn this as you get around more Christians who have grown up around the Bible. Every one of them can quote this scripture and finish it. We battle not against flesh and blood. And we would say that with our mouths, we say that with our lips, but with our lives do we say that or when we get attacked who do we go after? Do we actually attack back at the people? Think about the last time somebody attacked you. How was your response? 
I mean it, seriously, just think about it. Think about the last time that somebody did or said something to you or attacked you. What was your response? Was it to have your heart broken for them and to understand that they're only acting that way because they don't know who they are in Christ because they're not loved the way that you're loved? They're not okay? Or was it to attack the person back and go after them in the same way that they came after you? I'll take it from all the quiet blank stares that not a whole lot of people went after the real enemy. I take it that most of us probably attacked back against flesh and blood, but the word says that's not who we battle, so why do we do it? Because we don't understand. If we understood, we wouldn't do it. If you understood that that person that's attacking you is not your enemy, they're actually being influenced by the enemy and they're really the person that you're called and put here on earth. And maybe the reason that they're attacking you is because they hate what they see inside of you and the thing that they hate inside of you is actually the thing that they really need. They hate the peace that you walk around with because they don't have peace. They hate the joy that you walk around with because they don't have joy. They hate the way that you're able to be calm when everybody else is freaking out because they're freaking out too. They hate the way that you can love people because they've never really been loved that way in their lives. They hate the way that you can be honest because they're not an honest person. They hate all of that stuff inside of you and yet it's the very thing they need so that they can be okay. And rather than giving them what they need when they attack you, rather than seeing this as an opportunity, when somebody attacks you, it's an opportunity for you to share the gospel with them in the way that you respond to them in word and in deed. Instead of seeing it for that, a lot of times we see it as, I'll get them back. I'm really quick with words, right? I have a very sharp tongue if I'm not careful. You know, I used to take pride in how badly I could get people back if they would say something to me and how stupid I could make them feel and how I could, if anybody said something to me in, the, in, a, in a split second, I could have something to say back that was better, that would make them look bad, feel stupid. And I used to actually take pride in that. I used to take pride in saying that if you try to hurt me, I'll hurt you worse. Do you understand how foolish that is? How backwards that is? How contrary that is to the Word of God? But I actually took pride in that. I took pride in the fact when I used to fight all the time that I was a pretty good fighter. Not because I was big and strong, but because I wasn't afraid. I'd been beat up enough to know that it wasn't that bad. And when you're fighting people that haven't really been beat up very often before, they're afraid of that. And if you just come out and swing, it doesn't really matter, right? And I used to take pride in the fact that I could hurt people with my fists. That if they attacked me, I could hurt them worse. And if I couldn't, I could grab something and then I could hurt them worse. I used to actually take pride. How contrary to the gospel is that? Now, we have some pro hockey players here. We have an MMA fighter here who's actually fighting November 18th in Charlotte. If anybody's interested in going, you can get tickets from him. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a different story, right? Because that's part of what you do. That's, it's, it, you understand that the people that you're fighting, it's not that you hate these people. It's part of the game or it's part of what you do for, for a sport, for a living. That's a different story. But I'm talking about in real life when people come to you and they think that you're the enemy and they attack you and you treat them like the enemy and you attack them back rather than laying down your life for them. How many people have come into confrontation with Christians and walked away hurt and wounded? and in worse condition than they were before they encountered the Christian. See, it wasn't like that with Jesus, right? He encounters the woman at the well, and she's living with a fifth man who she's not even married to, having had a bunch of husbands before her. And rather than condemn her, and rather than tell her how horrible he is, he tells her that she says there's a better way of living, and he blesses her and releases her to go live a different way and tells her who he is and gives her what she really is looking for all along. When the woman is brought to him who is in adultery and all everybody's waiting and they've got their stones in their hands and they're wanting to kill her and they're wanting Jesus to say she should be stoned to death because of what she's done. Rather than condemning her, rather than attacking her, Jesus tells her who she is, tells her the truth, and then asks a question to the Pharisees and says, if any of you is without sin, cast the first stone. And the woman walks away feeling empowered to go and live a different way because the last thing he said to her was go and sin no more. See, when people encountered Jesus, they didn't walk away feeling worse and, and, and feeling more hurt and being attacked the way they attacked Him. Even when they physically attacked Him, what did He do? He took it. Why? Because He understood the only reason that they're abusing me is because they don't understand who I am. If they knew who I was, they wouldn't do what they're doing. And that was proven true a few, a few chapters later in Acts when the men who crucified Him came before Peter and Peter said to them, Now you see this Jesus whom you've crucified as both Savior and Lord. And they said, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Our kids are having a good time in there. If you guys can hear that, that's kids' church. They're in there teaching them the same gospel that we're learning out here. 
So the first thing he says is this. He says, stand firm, therefore, having, your gir- your, having girded your loins with truth, having your, your loins covered with truth. The first thing Paul says is the most important thing, and that is, is what's covering you. And he says, make sure it's covered with truth. Do you remember in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned? And the first thing that they did is they wanted to cover themselves. They made a loin covering made out of leaves. And that was good enough for them in front of people. Right? And our good works will be good enough in front of people because people will look at you and say, well, you're a good person because you don't do this and you don't do this and you do that and you do that. And so the covering that we can make for ourselves with our own good works will be good enough in front of people. But what happened when God walked into the garden? They both ran and hid behind a tree because even though it was good enough for them to stand in the front of people with what they had done themselves, it was never good enough to stand in front of God. And so he makes a covering for them and covers them. I'm telling you right now, anything that we have that covers us other than the truth may be good enough to stand in front of people. You may be able to stand in front of people and say, I have done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done that. I haven't done this, I haven't done this, I haven't done this. And that may be a covering that's good enough for your life in front of people. And they may say, wow, you're a good person. But the truth is, is none of that will stand when we stand in front of God. Because each and every one of us, if we were to make the list of good and bad, would be so lopsided with the bad. That the good that we've done would never outweigh it. And God wasn't happy that his people would come in front of him and be ashamed because of the covering they made was of their own hands. So he sacrificed an animal. He made a covering for them and he covered them with truth. And then Jesus comes and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the truth. He's the covering that you need. He's the place where it starts. It's the, the armor that we have in this, in, this, in this battle that we're called to. The very first thing is that we're covered with the truth of Jesus Christ and that is that He died on the cross for my sins. He paid the debt that I could never pay. He lived the life that I could never live. He had the obedience that I could never have and He sacrificed and He gave His own life so that I could take up my life and live. That's the very first place that we need to make sure that we put on the armor of Christ that we have covering us is the truth of Jesus and what he's done for us because if our truth is based on anything else our good works our good deeds our good efforts on the family that we were born into the church that we attend the amount of money or time that we've given listen none of those things are bad things but if that's the covering that we have and that's the truth that we think is going to keep us covered we're sadly mistaken and when the enemy comes and attacks all he has to do is start accusing you and suddenly all those good things start going out the window as you remember all the bad things that you've done and you won't be able to withstand the attack because you'll understand I'm really not that good a person. But if your covering is Jesus, when the enemy comes and tries to attack you and tell you that you're something, that you're this because you did this and you're that because you did that, you can look at him and you can say, it's a good thing that I don't stand here covered by myself and my own good deeds, but I'm covered with Jesus because if I wasn't, what you're saying would be true. But that's not who I am because I'm a new creation in Christ and he covers me. So if you can find any of those things true about Jesus, then come back and talk to me. But until then, Scram. Because I'm not standing here on my own truth, on my own righteousness. I'm standing here on His. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate was what covered your chest, especially your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The righteousness that we take on, the breastplate of righteousness that protects our heart, is the righteousness of God. Because it said, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. The covering that protects your heart is His righteousness. There's nothing that can be done to you that can affect your heart when you understand that it's not me, it's Christ. When you understand that it's not my good works that cover me it's Christ and his obedience it's not my righteousness that I stand here being attacked for it's his righteousness because he became sin that knew no sin that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and when your heart is protected by his righteousness when your heart is covered by his love then you're able to actually love people you're actually you're able to actually love people because your heart is guarded by His love. You're kept and you're filled by His love. So you don't need their love to be okay. You don't need them to respond to you the way that you want them to respond to be okay because your heart is covered in His righteousness. Your heart is filled with His love and that's what guards and protects it. So I don't have to go out and measure whether or not I should love somebody based on the way that they might act in return because that's not love at all. That's just manipulation. I'll love you if you do this. I'll say nice things to you as long as you say nice things back. I'll do nice things for you as long as you do nice things back in return for me. That's not love. That's manipulation. That's guarding our hearts. That's saying I'll give my heart to somebody as long as they don't or as long as they do. And that's not truly love because if there's conditions upon it, then it's not love. Love says I love you. 
not because of what you do for me or because of what you won't do to me. I love you because I love you. Because I'm loved by God, because I'm fulfilled and I'm complete in Him, and I'm now free to actually love you because I don't need you to love me in return in order for me to be okay. I'm okay because He loves me. Because He sent His Son to die on a cross. Because greater love has no man than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. When Jesus gave His life for me, it was the greatest example and the greatest display of love that's ever been given by another person to someone. And that's the love that God's loved me with. And it really doesn't matter. I'd like if you'd be nice back to me. I'd like if you'd love me in return. I'd like if you'd say nice things to me and do nice things for me. But the truth of the matter is, is I don't need you to do any of those to, con- to keep on loving you. Because my heart is covered and protected with His truth, with His righteousness, with His love. If your heart's protected, you're free to love people without worrying that they won't love you in return or misuse or mistreat you. And then you become bitter, angry, hurt, hard-hearted. But if the righteousness of God is covering your heart, you can love people know your heart is safe because of what Jesus has done for you and the love that he showed you on the cross. Guarding your heart doesn't mean keeping it from people. It means that your heart is actually guarded, that anything outside of his love would be able to affect it and hurt it and keep make you offended and wounded and walk around angry and bitter. Because from your heart flows everything. So if your heart is guarded, in other words, if the only thing that's allowed to touch your heart is the love of God, and through that, everything else flows. So I am loved by God, and from that, I overflow that love unto other people. Then I'm able to keep my heart from being offended so that what comes from me isn't offensive. I'm able to keep my heart from being hurt because then what doesn't come from me isn't hurtful. I'm able to keep my heart from being cold because then what comes from me won't be cold. It's actually able to be guarded by the breastplate of His righteousness. In other words, I understand. My heart is pure because He's pure. My heart is good because He's good. My heart is filled with love because He's filled with love. And then I'm okay to just go ahead and love people. And I can be mistreated. I can be misused. I can have people not respond the way I want them to. That doesn't stop the fact that I'm going to love them anyways because I'm not doing it for what they do. I'm doing it because of what's been done. And it's not conditional. If love has a limit or condition that can allow it to be broken, it's not really love. And I know people would say, well, what about and propose the worst case scenario? Guess what? We were the worst case scenario for God and He didn't choose to stop loving us because of the things that we've done. And if He didn't do that, then I don't think we have any excuse for doing that ourselves. Well, you don't know what they did to me. No, but I know what we did to Him. He still thought it was worth it to love you even with the chance that you may not love him in return. Ephesians 6.15 says, And have your, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is talking about the importance of our shoes or our footing. When people would go into battle, when a soldier would go into battle, Romans, they were the first ones to really invent cleats like we would use today in baseball or football. And what a cleat is for is, is it has a little stud that goes into the ground and actually grips the ground so that when you're pushed upon, so that when, when something ca- tries to move you from where you are, you can actually dig in and you're able to withstand and stay still and stay where you are. You'll notice in this verse, it never talks about us going anywhere. It doesn't say go fight the fight, go find the battle and take the battle to it. It doesn't say go and, and, and go over there and win that war and go over there and win that war. In the old covenant, the people were called to go places and fight the fight. In the new covenant, you've been placed somewhere and the fight is to remain where you've been placed, not battle to try to get where you're supposed to be. You're not battling to try to get somewhere. The battle is to remain where you, where God has placed you. He took you from the kingdom of darkness and placed you into the kingdom of His Son whom He loves. The battle is to remain where He placed you, not to try to get somewhere on your own. You're not onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. That was Old Covenant. New Covenant, it's we stand firm where God has placed us because He placed us in Christ. And when the enemy comes to attack us, His only means of attacking is to try to get us to move ourselves out of where we've been placed. And He says, so shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The enemy will come and try to push on you and get you to live in reaction to what He's doing and the turmoil surrounding you. But you can be prepared for this by making sure that the peace that you have in this life is not based on the absence of turmoil or the absence of conflict. 
Our peace is never having to do with the fact that there's nothing going on around us that if we allowed ourselves to freak out about, we could freak out. If that was the case, we wouldn't be able to have peace until we got to heaven and there was no enemy, there was no attack, there was no problem, there was no turmoil, there was no tragedy, there was none of those things. If that's the case, then we can't have peace until we get to heaven. But the truth is, Jesus said, my peace I give you to the disciples while they were here on earth. And when we have our, our feet rooted and grounded in the gospel of peace, that is that we have peace between ourselves and between God. Remember when the angels came, when Jesus was born, they said, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It didn't mean from now on men wouldn't fight and that they would just be happy with each other. It meant that the war between God and man was ending because Jesus, the Savior, had come. And now there was peace and goodwill from God towards man and man towards God. And so if your feet are firmly placed in that gospel, then you can have a peace and it has nothing to do with the lack of a battle, has nothing to do with lack of a trial. It's based on the presence of Christ. It's based on our position in Him. The enemy is always going to try to get you to do something that you're not supposed to do, right? That you're not called to do. That's not who you are. He'll try to get you to act outside of your character. See, because when you became born again, you actually became a new creation. You're different. Something about you changed. That's no longer who you were. The things that you used to do naturally now no longer are natural, and you have to actually choose to do them. Before it was rebellion to be good, now it's rebellion to be bad. Right? And you can't even be bad because you're not bad. So all the best you can do now is act bad. Right? The best you could do before you were born again was act like a good person. The worst you could do once you are born again is act like you're not. You're acting. It's not really who you are because inside of you, you changed. You became a new creation in Christ. The things that you do that are outside of that nature are not who you are. They don't define you and they don't make up your mind about who you are in Christ. All they are is you acting outside of who God's called you to be. It's rebellion against who you truly are to act that way. And so if you understand that and you have peace with that and you understand that the gospel is not about what I did right, you understand the gospel is about what he did for me, then you can actually withstand when the enemy comes to you and pushes on you and says, you don't really think you're a Christian. You don't really think that God loves you, do you? Really? What about this? What about that? And see, if everything is based on your own good works, if your heart isn't guarded by His righteousness, if you don't have the truth of Jesus covering your life, when the enemy comes and pushes on you, you have nothing to stand on because the best thing that you're standing on is your own good works and He'll always come and outnumber the good things you can remember with the bad things that He remembers. Come on. You know what that's like. You've been doing so good for so long and then you screw up and the enemy comes to you and says, "Uh uh-huh, some Christian you are. Some new creation in Christ. And if all you are is based on what you've done, you have nothing to stand on. But if you understand that the gospel gives you peace between you and God, that Jesus came and died for the sins that you have committed, the sins you will commit, the sins that have already been committed, every single sin 2,000 years ago, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if you understand that, when the enemy comes and tries to push on you, you can stand firm right where you've been placed in Christ. And you can say, my righteousness is found in Christ alone. He is my righteousness. I don't have to fight you on those terms that you're coming to fight me with because that's not what makes me who I am. And you can just stand there firm against the attacks. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you're able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil when the enemy's constantly going to try to attack you. He accuses and tries to get you to act out of fear and to react from the things that he's doing. The shield of faith is the faith that we have in Jesus and what he said to us. In this life you will have trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. I'm with you always, even to the end. In the Romans 8, Paul gives us this huge list of things that would come against us, but then he says, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We have all these verses about God's love for us and about God being more committed to us becoming the people he created us to be than we are. Never think it was your idea for you to live the way God's called you to live. It was his idea and he's way more committed to seeing you live that way than you are. Never think that it's up to you to white knuckle it and hold on tight enough and to try your very best. Understand that he has no intention of you doing it in your own strength. That you can't. And that's why he sent Jesus. But with the strength that he gives through the spirit within you and through walking after the spirit, you can live the life that he's called you to live. He has every intention of you becoming the person he created you to be. Every intention. And he's way more committed and way more excited about that. You guys ever, like when the, when the, um, Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself, right? So take on the helmet of salvation. This is to be assured of salvation because Christ 
and because you have faith. You guys realize that all these things have something to do with our identity in Christ. Every single one of these. All these are as a protection and to keep what you already have. A, 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 the, the helmet of salvation doesn't give you salvation. It protects the salvation that you already know you have in your mind. The breastplate of righteousness doesn't give you righteousness. It protects your heart, which has been made righteous because of Jesus and what he's done. The, the, the covering of truth doesn't give you truth. It is the truth that was always true about you. And it covers you with that truth so that you don't have to stand there on your own. All these things have to do with your identity. Why? Because if the enemy can come and get you to think that you're someone that you're not, he can get you to act like somebody that you're not. That's why when Jesus is tempted by him, he comes to him and he attacks him the same way he attacks me and you, the very first thing, if you are the Son of God. Why? Because if he can get Jesus to doubt that he is the Son of God or question that he is the Son of God, if he can get you to question that you really are who God said that you are, he can get you to act in a way that you're not supposed to act. That's always going to be his attack against you is to try to convince you that you're not really who God says that you are. Because if he can get you to believe that, then he can get you to act in a way that God never told you to act and he can get you to do things that you never really wanted to do in the first place. So he's always going to come against you with, if you are the son, if you are a Christian, if you really are, if you're righteous, how come? If you're really holy, then how come? And all these little attacks, and the more we think about it, the more it starts to make sense because it doesn't take faith to believe what he's saying. All it takes is a memory. It doesn't take faith to agree with the enemy. It just takes your memory. It takes faith to actually say, even though this is what God said, so this is who I am. Even though I remember that thing that you're talking about, thank God he doesn't anymore because he said he would forgive my sins and remember them no more. And if he doesn't think it's worth judging me over, then I certainly am not going to judge myself over it. Next. You guys, you understand that that's how our our attitude towards him has to be. That we can't sit around and try to fight with him the way that we would think of fighting. It's not a struggle. It's not this thing where we have to struggle in war and, oh, I know you're right, but what about this? Oh, what about that? You know, and it's back and forth and we're not sure who's going to win and all these things. Jesus never struggled and battled with him. He simply answered him with the word of God and moved on to the next thing. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Next. If you're really the son of God, cast yourself down off of here. For he said that he would give his angels charge over you and they would protect you lest you dash your foot upon the stone. It is written, thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. Next. It wasn't this battle and struggle where Jesus and the devil went back and forth and it looked for everyone watching like we're not sure who's going to win. Come on, Jesus, come on, come on. It was this thing where he said, listen, I'm not going to fight you that way. I'm going to destroy you. And so here's the word that destroys the lie. If you are the Son of God, I'm the Son of God. Here's what God's Word says about what you're asking me to do. Because He never once questioned who He was. If you don't question who you are, if the enemy can't get you to think that you're something that you're not, then he has a really hard time getting you to do things that you don't want to do. If your identity is secure and you fight in His strength, not your own. The helmet of salvation is the battle for our mind. It's always going to be, the attack is always going to be against your mind. He's always going to try to get you to think things that aren't true, to believe things that aren't true, to label and judge yourself based on things that aren't true. Six ten says, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. It's constantly stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. It's never go out and attack, go out and win, go out and fight. You're not trying to get somewhere. You've already been placed where God wants you. The battle now is just to stand there. And the helmet of our salvation protects our mind and says, even though he's saying all these things, it doesn't matter. My salvation is secure because of Jesus Christ. Every bit of this armor that we wear is taking on Jesus It's taking on Jesus as our salvation, which protects our mind because we understand that he was the one who came and lived a perfect sinless life because I never could. And then he gave his life so that I could take up the life that he deserved. He took what I deserved so that I could have what he did. It's his salvation that protects my mind and keeps me from wondering, am I really saved? Am I really going to go to heaven? Does God really love me? Could he really do this for me? Could he really do that for me? It's the helmet of salvation. It's the righteousness that, I, that covers me. And I say I'm covered by the righteousness. I'm not only, listen, Jesus didn't act sinful so that you could act righteous. He became sin so that you could become righteous. Think about that. It's not an act. It's who you are. He didn't come and act sinful so you could act righteous. He became sin so that you could become righteous. 
So here's the deal. These are all the defensive things that we've been given, right? And so if we can use all of these things and we can defeat the enemy in our own lives, because these are all for us, right? Like you can't be defended by my righteous, my breastplate of righteousness. It doesn't guard your heart. You have to have your own. The, the, the covering of truth of Jesus Christ that's around me doesn't cover you. You have to have your own. You can't stand on mine. You can't say, well, Roy said that he's a good person when you start getting attacked. You can't say, well, Roy said that it doesn't matter what, what he's done wrong because Jesus forgave him. You have to know that, that it doesn't matter what you've done wrong because Jesus forgave you. Nothing that I have as far as these weapons protects you from anything or keeps you from anything. It keeps me from it so that now I'm free to actually look around and see other people because if i spend my whole life fighting a battle that i believe is inside of myself then what good how can i ever look around and see other people that need help and this is where the sword of the spirit comes in first of all for ourselves right when the enemy attacks like we talked about with jesus we speak god's word to him it says that the sword of the spirit is the word of god right so he comes and you're a failure because you failed you're a screw up because you screwed up you're a sinner because you sinned and all these accusations that he makes right you ever feel like you've just blown it anybody in here ever feel honestly yeah me and two other people yeah the rest you're blowing it right now because you're lying (laughs) and when he comes to attack you later about that you can just fight him off with the truth Right, but you just feel like you've blown it. Like I just, I blew it. I made a mistake. I, I've done something wrong. There's nothing that I can do about this, right? And he comes to you and he's just going to attack you with that over and over again and get you feel like this time you screwed up too much. And you said this so many times before. This time you might as well just give up because you, you've tried so many other times. And I've heard that line before of I'm not going to do that again. And you're just beating yourself up because you feel like you've blown it, right? So then we turn to Titus 3, 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out richly upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When the enemy comes and attacks and tells you you've blown it, you've screwed up too badly, instantly the sword of the Spirit comes out and we remind him of what God's Word says about us. That my righteousness is not based on the things that I did good, but God's grace for me and towards me. That it wasn't my idea that I came up with, it was his. This is also the only weapon that we can use when we're dealing with other people. And we're kind of running out of time, so I'm going to try to go through this quickly right the sword of the spirit is the word of god it's the weapon that we have when we speak the truth when we live the truth in word and in deed in front of people when we declare god's truth to them it's a literal sword that fights and and destroys things that have come against them lies from the enemy addiction shame guilt condemnation hurt abuse all those things people are battling and when we when we live by the word of god by the sword of his spirit right when we give a kind word when people are angry with us when we love people when they act unlovable when we love people purely for who they are rather than what they can do for us or love us in return, when we think of other people and their needs above our own, when we don't have a price that we'll sell our principles for, when we can't be easily provoked to anger, when we don't label people by what they've done but see them for who God created them to be, when we speak as the Holy Spirit gives us words and speak them with His voice, when rather than being hurt by people and reacting to them, we love people and react to the Spirit that's influencing them. It's the sword of the Spirit that brings freedom and brings truth to their lives. Paul's walking in Acts 16, 16. I'm going to close up with this. And Luke's writing, and he says, or Paul's walking, Luke's writing, he says, Once we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you a way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Paul becomes so annoyed because of what she's doing, walking around, shouting from behind them. And he finally becomes so annoyed that he turns around and he doesn't say to her, shut up. He doesn't say to her, go away. He doesn't say to her, what are you doing? You know, get out of here, get lost. Why don't you go away? Why don't you be quiet? Shut up. You're stupid. Any of those things. And when we get annoyed by something somebody's saying, a lot of times we react to the people, but Paul doesn't because he understands she's not the enemy. It's the spirit that's on her. That's the spirit that's oppressing her. That's making her able to be used and abused by these men. That's the problem. And so when he turns around, he speaks directly to the spirit and he says, come out of her. And the girl is set free because she's not the enemy. She's not who Paul was fighting against. She's someone who needs to be loved and set free. I close it with this a story. My wife has a 
has a really good friend and she came to me one day and she said, you know what, my, this, this friend of mine, there's, this, there's something wrong. And, and every now and then this thing flares up on her and it's, it's, it's ugly. And, and, and it almost seems like, like there's a hatred for me or something. But most of the time we're good. It's only in the certain settings that this comes out. And, and there's something wrong. And I just know there's something wrong. And I love her. I love hanging out with her. But I can't stand when that thing comes up and flares up. And I said, well, go confront her with it about it, you know. And, because that's me. I always want to just confront things right away. And she said, I don't feel like I'm supposed to. I'm just, I'm going to pray for her. And so my wife prayed for her and prayed that the eyes of her understanding would be open and that God would reveal to her what was going on in her life and that she would see the truth and that, that she would, would be free from this thing that was trying to attach itself to her. And she prayed and prayed. And it was about three weeks later, the friend came to her and she said, you know, there's this thing that's been trying to get all over me and I think it's trying to destroy our friendship and, and I've acted this way and it disgusts me and I can't handle the way it makes me feel but I just, it's like I, I see it happening to me and I'm almost like defenseless to stop it and I want to be free from this and she's telling my wife and my wife just looked there and said, I know. I know I've been praying for you. I've been loving you even. She said, you, you saw it and you, you, you noticed it? She said, yeah. See, my wife's heart was guarded by the love of God that covers her heart. Her feet are covered with the gospel of peace. She has peace even when there's a storm going on, even when she's being attacked. Her heart is guarded. She didn't have to become offended. The natural reaction would have been to act the same way this person was acting, to attack her back and and to get back at her and say nasty things to her and prove her wrong and let her know how wrong she was. And instead, my my wife, because her heart is protected and not offendable because she's covered with Jesus, because she has the truth of the gospel surrounding her was able to just love this person and rather than react to her the way the world would react she was able to love her in return still hang out with her still be her friend still speak truth to her and pray for her and lay down her own life for this person so that one day she came to her and said i just i you got to forgive me i don't want to have this in my life anymore but what would have happened if she would have acted like most people would have acted and she would have came back at her the same way she was being attacked it would have drove her friend away it would have destroyed a friendship and she would have been left even more hurting even more lost even more separated from maybe the one person who could help her get free from this thing that's what the enemy wants he wants people to attack so that we'll attack them back and drive them away because he understands that we have the truth and if we would just lay down our lives people will actually become set free rather than even more hurt the next time you get attacked, you've got to remember this. It's not people that we battle against. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Learn to see by the Spirit rather than seeing by the flesh. Learn to see them for what's going on in their lives and recognize they don't know who they are. They wouldn't do what they're doing. They're hurting, so they want to hurt people. The last thing they need is for me to add to that hurt and the cycle to continue. Maybe what they need is somebody to act in the opposite spirit to them, and if they're coming at me with hatred, come back at them with love. Maybe if they're lying, they just need somebody that will speak the truth to them enough that will set them free. Maybe if they're, if they're deceitful. Maybe if they're struggling with, with different areas in their lives. Maybe what they need is rather than to be attacked for it. Maybe if they're coming at me and calling me names, what they need is for me to speak the name of truth to them and tell them who they are and tell them how loved they are. Maybe they don't need somebody to do what everyone else has already done because that's what's got them where they are. If that worked, everyone would be perfect. (laughs) If attacking people back the way they attacked us made us change and made us whole and made us healthy, we'd all walk around perfect because every one of us has been attacked and has attacked people. The battle's not against flesh and blood. That's not the problem. It's against the enemy. It's against the lies. It's against the deception. It's against what he would say that's contrary to the gospel. It's against hatred. Anger, rage, jealousy, all those kind of things. God, I just I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that we can walk in victory. God, that you said in 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. God, that you've never called us to a battle that you intend for us to lose because you've never called us into a battle that we're not equipped to win. God, that every time we're attacked, it's an opportunity for us to manifest the nature of Christ. That every time that somebody hates us, it's an opportunity for us to love them and show them a different way of living. That every time somebody slanders us, it's an opportunity for us to love them in return and speak truth to them. 
God, that like Jesus, when we're attacked, we would lay down our own rights and say, it's not about me. Even though sometimes winning looks like losing, God. Even though to the world it looked like Jesus was losing as He laid there getting nailed to a cross, as they raised Him up into the air and as He bled the blood out of His body and as He breathed out His last breath and said, it's finished. For all the world looking, it looked like He had lost. But He wasn't trying to win for Himself. For Him, winning looked like losing because it meant laying down His life so that others could live. God, I pray that we would have that mindset in us that Christ had, that for me to win is to lay down my own life so that others can be made whole. That I'm okay. That I can lay down my life so that others can be okay. That I'm loved and so I can lay down my my own life so that others can feel loved. That I've been forgiven so I can offer forgiveness to other people rather than be hurt by them, angry, and judge and condemn them that I've been given much, God, and so I have much to give away. I thank you for that. God, I ask that that we would literally have our eyes open to the truth, that we wouldn't treat people around us the way that they treat us, but we would treat them the way that you treat us. I ask that we never again attack people with our words, with our actions, in response to their attack, God, but that we would love them God, that we would go after the thing that's causing them to be that way with the sword of Your Spirit and speak the truth of Your Word that breaks the lie. I ask for wisdom on how to do that, God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Um, uh, a couple of quick announcements. Our marriage class, um, we're going to have to put this online because there's a bunch of people not here today, but... Um, so there'll be an announcement on our Facebook page and on the, on the website, but our marriage class is picking up again next Sunday night at six o'clock and we will have coffee and desserts. It starts at six. Come here. We hang out. We have round tables. We talk about marriage. We talk about issues that we're facing. Single people can come. In fact, we encourage them to because it's great to learn these things from people who have the scars on their forehead so that you can learn to duck before you run into the wall. And, um, and so we talk about marriage, we talk about the issues that, that marriage has faced, we talk about the celebration that marriage is, and, and we don't talk about marriage as, as something that, man, oh, I just need my marriage fixed. We talk about and we celebrate and we're excited about the fact that God created marriage and His heart for it is to be amazing. And He didn't create marriage for us to struggle through, He created marriage for us to enjoy and be thrilled about being in. So we talk about those kind of things, we're going to be talking this month, um, um, that starts at 6 o'clock, and that's next Sunday night. Tonight we have youth group. Starting at 6 o'clock also here at the church. And anybody high school, middle school age, we invite you guys to come out and hang out for that. We have worship, and then we're still going through the book of Ephesians. So we'll be continuing with that. Um, We love you guys. We're so thankful for you. Uh, Find some people that you don't know. Say hey to them before you leave. Be blessed. Have an awesome week. Go fight, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Oh, yeah. If anybody needs prayer, our prayer team is going to be up here up front. If you need prayer for healing emotionally, physically, spiritually, if you're going through a hard time, if you're facing a big decision and you need wisdom from heaven, uh, whatever the case is, if you need prayer for anything, please don't leave without getting prayed for. The people up front would love to pray with you and talk with you. We love you guys.